Good morning. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I feel very warmly welcomed. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for this opportunity. I'm glad to be with you. Just a little bit more about myself. I'm Jen. Um, I am mama to twins, eight-and-a-half-year-old twins, Ellie and Maddie, and uh, married to Duncan, who's from the Bay Area, lifelong Bay Area-er until he moved to New York. And I myself, I grew up in Toronto. So Bay Area and Toronto... Uh, for those of you who are into basketball at all, you can imagine 2019, right? NBA Finals. It was the Golden State Warriors up against the Toronto Raptors. And I don't know what possessed him, uh, but my husband felt inspired that spring to make like this big romantic gesture to me. And he said, just for you, my Canadian wife, I am going to give up my lifelong love of the Warriors and become a Raptors fan this season. Okay, he made it Facebook official and everything. But here's the thing, the man was lying. Okay, I caught him a couple nights after we'd all gone to bed, watching highlights, rooting for the Warriors. And so the man cannot be trusted, but here we are. So last year's finals, how many of you remember? Last year, it was the Celtics up against the Warriors. Okay, and game four, that was an important game. Because in game four, the Warriors' star player, Steph Curry, of course, he was on fire. Okay? He turned the whole series around. Couldn't stop him. Now, if you were head coach Steve Kerr of the Warriors, what would make you do something as nonsensical, as ridiculous, as taking Steph Curry out of the game? Why would you pull him off the court? And the answer is, you absolutely would not do such a thing, right? You would never do such a thing. But here's the, the passage we're going to look at today in Acts 8. It's kind of what God is doing when he pulls Philip, a star player for the gospel, off the court to do a new thing that's really an old thing. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that, okay? Just stay with me. So let's look at, uh, oh, before, let me, I have, I have one, I want to set us up this way. If we were to look at uh, the stories in the book of Acts, like the one we're going to look at today, like, hit, like a, a hit show, episodes of a hit show, the episode for today's uh, adventure, the synopsis or the teaser for this episode could go something like God pulls star player off the court, okay? That would be our teaser. So let's look at Acts 8, starting at verse 26, Okay, that's where we're going to dive into this scripture. Acts 8, starting at verse 26, and it goes, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. Okay, big deal. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, quick side note. For those of us who are maybe somewhat familiar with this passage, we can blow past the words. We can blow past a simple word like the word reading in verse 28, right? But remember, this was a time when most people could not read. And so this is a big hint that the author is dropping into the text that this isn't an ordinary man that God is sending Philip to. 
Okay, so keep that in mind. So God sends Philip with zero explanation to the middle of nowhere. He sends him to this in-between place in the desert, a place where we think nothing is happening and nothing can grow. Right? The directions Philip gets are very minimal. They're vague. Go to the desert road, go to the chariot, stay near the chariot. And I have been getting to know, I have been getting to know, I learned that you should consider um, chat GPT, not as a friend, but like your intern. Okay? So I've been getting to know my new intern, chat GPT, and uh, chat GPT told me that an ancient chariot could go up to 30 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. I, on a good day, I'm I'm an aspiring runner. On a good day, I can run six miles an hour, right? So when God says, when the Spirit of God says to Philip, stay near the chariot, he's asking Philip to hustle, like run, right? Lace up those shoes and start running. And whatever else we can say or learn about Philip, uh, I want to shout him out. Here's a man whose faith lines up with his feet, okay? His faith lines up with his feet. God says, go, and he goes, and he doesn't miss a beat, okay? So I want to back up, set a little bit more of the stage. What was going on just before Philip's running alongside this chariot in the desert? So this is not, this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when more and more people come to believe in him, in what he said and who he said he was, and they begin to, to walk in what was called the way, okay? So followers of the way at this time in Jerusalem were being persecuted for their faith. So uh, they were being rounded up systematically and thrown in jail, right? People were going house by house to catch the Christian, Christians and throw them in jail. And so the disciples of Jesus are scattered. They leave the city of Jerusalem, and Philip goes down to a place called Samaria, okay? Now, we know, uh, those of us who um, are somewhat familiar with the Bible, but some of us might not be, the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, they hated each other, And like one of the world's, like all of the world's, so many of the world's bitterest conflicts, the hatred began as a family fight, okay? Uh, They had common ancestors, but the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds and dogs because for hundreds of years, they had began worshiping gods of other nations. So needless to say, bad, bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. But to everyone's surprise including the Jews, God is not okay letting bad blood stay bad blood. Okay, he's not okay with that. And as we keep seeing in the New Testament, he pushes his disciples, he pushes his followers across, way across boundary lines, whether those are religious lines or cultural lines or even class lines. Okay, he, he sends them out across these lines into uncomfortable spaces, even when they don't get why, they usually don't, even when they push back, which they often do, and they make kind of a big mess of it. Jesus is, God is still doing this. Because through Philip, as I said, God is doing a new thing that's really an old thing, and that new old thing is happening until this day. God is still fulfilling his dream, the, the, the deep dream of his heart that he first shared with Abraham in Genesis thousands of years earlier when he said, Abraham, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And all nations, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So followers of this God are meant to be a blessing to those around them. All peoples on earth will be blessed. And I love that as we talk about all peoples, um, I, I learned that about 10 years ago, Time Magazine called this neighborhood, Astoria, the most diverse urban area in the world. Okay, People from over 100 countries live here. 
right? So from Bangladeshis, Dominicans, Colombians, Romanians, Greeks, and Chinese, right? This is a beautifully diverse neighborhood. And God's blueprint for restoring a world that has been broken, God's blueprint so that for uh, ensuring that peoples of all nations can flourish and enjoy friendship with him involves Abraham, involves Philip, and if we are willing, involves you and me. Okay, and I'll get into that very soon. So God gives Philip great success in Samaria, right? Many men and women come to faith because of his teaching and his preaching and his healing. So people, it's like people who had been driving towards a cliff, they suddenly see the warning signs and they do a 360 off the road that leads to death and onto a road that leads to life, right? It's incredible, right? Philip is on fire. He's turning the whole series around and in Samaria. So why would God send him out? Why would God pull him out of that game? Because God is always doing a new thing that's really an old thing. And it's the one thing God is always up to ever since the day humans turned away from God to try to be our own God. Right? God pulls Philip off the court to send him to a lonely desert road for a one-on-one Bible study with a black African finance minister because God is in the business of curing, of healing homesickness. Okay? He is in the business of inviting people, calling people back home to the place of ultimate security, ultimate acceptance, and ultimate love. Right? It's the home we humans were always looking for all our lives, though often we, we look in the wrong places. And when left to ourselves, right, if it was just up to us, we know somehow in our bones that we're cut off from this home. We're locked out without a key. It's a, it's a major problem. So today, we're going to do, uh, we're going to look a little bit more closely at this moment in the early church in Acts 8 when the Spirit of God calls Philip way across boundaries, pushing him to the very edge of the known world for a Jewish person at that time. Philip is going as far as any Jewish person has gone. Right? All so that he can welcome one man into the way of Jesus. So I hope we'll see that what was so refreshing and so unique about the faith of Christianity 2,000 years ago is still the same today. Right? People need what Jesus has to offer and won't find anywhere else. And he invites us, Jesus invites us into his work of calling people home. So if we're watching, if we're watching this episode on TV, right, Philip and the finance minister, I think the showrunners would give us a couple of uh, flashback sequences, at least, just to give us some more backstory. So maybe we see the eunuch, right, as a child. It would have been as a child that he would have gone through a really painful surgery so that he could uh, be accepted as the price of admission into the queen's court to be able to serve the queen. Right? Maybe we see him a little bit older, he's staring out the window, just before he's going to move to the capital city to enter into his role officially. And maybe he gets interrupted by a brother or sister who is just you know, offering him some un- completely unsolicited advice. And his brother might say something like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Right? Your whole life is going to be to serve the empire Your job, this job's going to expire one day. And if you're lucky, maybe you'll be remembered on one line of a historian's scroll. But our finance minister, he counts the cost, and he moves forward. 
Couple years later, another flashback. His clothes are fancier, right? He's been in his role for a couple years. His beard is thinner and grayer. And we see him at the crossroads of, uh, one of the crossroads of the ancient world. And he's chatting, chatting with some foreigners with some really strange ideas that he's never heard before. Uh, rumors of a god who makes staggering promises to physically deformed men like himself. This makes our finance minister curious. Okay? And maybe in the final flashback, we see him in his chariot going up to 30 miles an hour on his way to Jerusalem to worship this god and even though he would have been turned away at the temple because eunuchs were not allowed in, he was still invested enough, he was still drawn to this God and this faith enough that he made a big-ticket purchase, a scroll of sacred text that he's reading from so that he could keep learning about this God on his way home to Ethiopia. So, friends, why might this man, powerful, accomplished man of the world, have been drawn to the strange faith of Israel? It was, it was really weird. And why were so many other men and women drawn to this faith and ultimately to the way of Jesus? I want to offer a couple ideas. We can't be sure, but here's a few things that I think the Jewish faith declared out of which Christianity grew. Right? The Jewish faith offered a hopefulness about life that was unlike any other. Um, many other ancient religions of that time said, suggested that if you knew, if you were in the know, the best option around right, for a sophisticated human being, is to end your life because life is meaningless. It's quite, quite dreary, okay? Now, instead, the Jewish Psalms and the Jewish Proverbs suggested, no, no, the best option around is to learn to trust God in an uncertain world because despite how things look, uh, and they look bad, injustice, sickness, loss, those are all real. But despite those things, God is able to work things out for our good. He is able to show up for you when you're thrown in the furnace, right? He's powerful enough to turn rock, sheer rock, into water. And he's strong enough to make a path through the sea, a way out of no way. That is our God, right? Now, if the God of the Bible had a LinkedIn profile, right, it could read, it could read, the one, the God who stands with the least attractive, least impressive, least capable, least desirable people of all, right? I'm talking about the ones without a safety net. People, kids without parents, women without husbands, families without land. And this was not how gods of this time behaved themselves. Gods at this time, the, the most of the gods at this time, their power, their, their power was channeled through the best looking, the most competent, and the, the best, the, the most well-connected families, okay? So this God who called himself, I'm the one who stands on the side of the least impressive, this made people curious. This was not like the other faiths on offer. Uh, quick show of hands, how many of us have seen everything everywhere all at once? Go Michelle Yo, right? I won't give anything away, but one of the big questions the film asks is, does anything really matter, right? Do any of our choices make a difference? Like, and in this world uh, where there's so much going on, social media, AI, it's like dizzying with all that's going on, can we ever make sense of life? Should we even bother? 
to make sense of life? And I would argue that that question, this question, does anything matter? Do our choices matter? Do we matter? I would argue that that question is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when our finance minister was wrestling with this prophet, uh, the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And the answer from the story of God, as Christians understand it, is an absolute definitive yes. Yes, we matter. The choices we make matter. And we can make sense of life, even though the world is, uh, feels out of control and there's so much going on, we can make sense of life because we've been made by a good God for a good purpose. Christians believe God is not some faraway blue glow of energy. God is also not an angry, judgmental bean counter. That's not the God of the Bible. Christians believe that the universe was created not out of violence or by accident, but as a gift. God created the universe, but he didn't need anything back from the universe. He did it for fun, and he had fun designing it. He created human beings to enjoy friendship with him and to help him take care of the world. Right? He thought each and every single one of us sitting in these chairs today, he thought about each of us uniquely and he calls each one of us to know him personally. This is the God of the Israelites, right? This is the God out of which the Jewish faith grew. How far, how far? So how, why would this be good news? Why would a personal God who created us uniquely, who wants to be known by us, why would this God be compelling to men and women at this time? What was good news about it? And I think it was good news because uh, if your life, every day of your life was spent trying to make a whole bunch of different gods and goddesses happy, right? Every little god and goddess had their own little niche hold on power, had their own agenda, and had their own demands for you, right? They were ready to lash out at you or give favors depending on their mood and if you did the things that they asked. And the things that they asked uh, led to some of the, the worst kinds of misery, right? sexual exploitation, and human sacrifice, okay? But here's the question for us, uh, New Yorkers in 2023. Don't all of us also live in a world of tricky, demanding gods, right? Who want our money, our votes, our allegiance on every issue or else will cancel you. Instead of the old gods, Maybe they were called Artemis or Apollo or Isis. These gods might be called TikTok influencer status, right? Or booking the role or a three-bedroom, two-bath apartment in a certain zip code, right? These, whatever they're called, the old gods or the new, they still demand our attention and our energy, and they never really deliver on their promises. I'm, I'm embarrassed, my friends, to tell you that every time I walk by a store like a Sephora, I can't help, like I kind of die inside. I think, I, I feel like there's 30,000 things wrong with me. So many products that I need. But here's the thing. I can buy the product. I can click on the link. I can sign up for the six month, whatever. And it never quite pays off, right? As one of my neighbors, who's not a believer, said to me, I keep buying all this crap on Amazon and none of it makes my life better, right? So do we not see that we, like the finance minister, sitting on this lonely desert road, we are looking for things that cannot be found in a high-powered job, in a fat bank account, or 20,000 followers on Instagram, because they can only be found in the one true living God, okay? And unlike the tricky gods of this world that can never be satisfied, Jesus comes along, and he tells us 
what God wants from us, he, he sums it up in two commandments, right? Do we remember what those were? First, first, don't try to live apart from God. Love God. Put God at the center of your life because that's how life is going to make sense. It's not going to make sense apart from that, right? I, I love this song. It's, it's probably really old by now, uh, by Seal. It's called Love's Divine. And this line always gets to me. He says, love is what I need to help me know my name, right? So knowing God's love for us and loving God, that helps us know our name, know who we are and what we're here for, okay? Loving God, and uh, he alone is worthy of our worship, and our hearts are restless until we rest in him. And the second command Jesus gave was to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So it's to go to the very edge of your comfort zone, roll up your sleeves, and start serving, right? Work for justice and wholeness in your communities, and especially with those who don't have a safety net, right? The ones we talked about earlier. Here's the most important part, though, friends. Jesus not only summed up what God wants from us, but he lived it out because we could not. He willingly takes on the punishment we deserve, that I deserve for my hypocrisy, for my selfishness, for my greed, and he gives me the honor that he won. So unlike so many other religions that say do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be accepted, and then you'll be rewarded, Jesus flips it. Jesus says, my love for you makes you accepted. Now come follow me. It's the greatest offer ever in the history of the universe. And as I was preparing to, to speak with you guys, I, you know, it, it's a little intimidating to think, how can I help convey uh, the, the, um, the immensity of this offer in, a, in like the terms of everyday life so we can kind of wrap our heads around it a little bit? It, it, it feels uh, fraught, but we can try. Uh, some of you, how many of you enjoy Ted Lasso? One of my favorites. Now, season one, Okay, there's an episode, I think it's towards the end of the season. The team, um, they're, off, they're off to another city for a game, and they spend the night watching the Iron Giant. Okay, so we laugh because there's a room full of uh, grown-up football players, and they're crying their eyes out at the Iron Giant, which is literally about a giant robot. But here's the thing. Uh, for those of us who know the story of the Iron Giant, we understand why they're so moved. Right? The Iron Giant... Uh, a literal, like a giant robot. He, he sacrifices himself. He, he puts himself on a collision course with a missile that's about to hit a town full of people, right? So he gives up his life so that others can live. We know why that story moves us. It's the way of Jesus, right? And funny, as we look back at what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when Philip ran into him, right? Uh, Let's look at that again. Philip says, Philip runs alongside the chariot. He hears the Ethiopian reading from Isaiah, and he asks a question. Friends, Philip asks a question that I think every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus should be asking our friends all the time. Do you understand what you're reading? Okay? And the eunuch replies, how can I unless someone guides me? Okay. The passage the Ethiopian was reading, I'll just read a little bit. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, for his life was taken from the earth. And the finance minister wants to know, who is this prophet talking about? 
Who is the prophet talking about? I think it's the question every human being, including those in our lives, should be given an opportunity to ask. Who is this lamb being led to the slaughter? Friends, a very important question for us leading into Holy Week. Who is this lamb being led to the slaughter? We just looked, and then the scripture tells us, Philip began with that very passage and then took him through the story of God to show him the good news of Jesus. Philip began where the finance minister was in his reading and then told him the good news of Jesus. Now, we just spent a couple minutes looking at why the Christian faith would have been compelling to people in general, right? God who stands on the side of the undesirables, uh, a God who offers hopefulness in a world that seems so out of control. But what about, what was good news for this specific man that we have here in this passage? Uh, I, I want to give us a couple things to think about. On one hand, this powerful, accomplished man, he had a lot going on for him, Right? He had a position of influence. He got to hung around the most important people in the land, right? Uh, he was good with money, which may imply a sharp and shrewd mind. He was likely to have been invited to a lot of the best parties. And yet, we don't have to look far under the hood to look at the brokenness and the pain, right? We can see it. In this role, he'd have to stay a step ahead all the time, uh, trying to fend off stabs in the front and stabs in the back trying to see who, you know, who was manipulating to, to get him out of a job. His job would have also brought temptation. Dealing with money always does, right? Money has a way of never being enough, no matter how much you have of it. And he's responsible for the money of an entire kingdom, of an empire. I can imagine a temptation just to see that money grow, no matter who gets trampled underneath, right? That temptation was real. And, then, and how much of male identity in this world of the finance minister and ours, how much of male identity is bound up in, in male sexuality, right? This is a world where your prestige was wrapped up in the number of wives and the number of sons in particular that you had, right? Now being a eunuch, being a eunuch meant he could never have a son, a son who would compete for his dad's loyalty and possibly turn him from the queen. So a eunuch, friends, despite all his power, here's someone that you gossiped about and you laughed at, right? Because He'd be the one showing up to family reunions back in his hometown. He'd be the one showing up at the queen's court for celebrations. He was the guy with no sons or grandsons, right? Now, if everyone else could go to their graves satisfied, I've been successful counting their sons and grandsons, what was there for him? What hope was there for him? But as he and Philip read further in Isaiah, they would have come to this passage. I'm just going to read a little bit. To the eunuchs. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give a temple and its walls, a, mo a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Everlasting name that will endure forever. So good news, the best kind of news was right here for this man. Through Jesus, God was flinging wide the doors home, right, to the honor, to the security, to the acceptance even better than many sons and daughters, a name that would endure, right? And if we think about it, if I think about it, isn't that what I yearn for too, a name that will endure? I want to shake off the limits of uh, my human weakness and my short lifespan, I want to know that I was worthy enough, that I mattered enough to have my name carved in stone for people to admire because I mattered, right? Now, turning to this God and walking in his ways meant that our finance minister 
his status as guy with no sons and grandsons, that was not the end of his story. Okay? Uh, A new life of physical and spiritual wholeness was available to him through the Lamb of God, beyond what the most physically perfect father of of this uh, kingdom and empire could ever dream. So I want to bring this back to us now. For, for those of us who are in this room, maybe some of us are sitting here today wondering about our own situations. Maybe it's a complex mix of good and bad, like what the finance minister has going on, but there's not much hope for a secure future. What, what's there for us when we're no longer useful to the kingdoms or gods of this world? That's a question that can haunt many of us and me at times. What are we most burdened by this morning? What are you carrying into this space today? Maybe it's a little bit more financial margin. Maybe it's the health and well-being of your kids. My children are now starting to talk about boyfriends and being left out and all that social-emotional stuff that just breaks my heart. I want want them to be, uh, you know, socially successful. I want that for my kids, right? Maybe uh, you're burdened by a broken relationship that you wish to be restored. These details, each of these details of what you're carrying around, they matter to God because you matter to God. And no matter what your burden is, how complex the situation it is, how impossible it feels, you can bring your burdens and your questions to Jesus because he's the one who willingly put himself on the collision course with the missile of everything that's wrong in our world. He stepped into that place to take that hit so that we could go home, right? A home that we've always been looking for. So friends, I'm going to begin to close by, I just want to reflect on what this passage means for us, okay? I think it calls for us to live with humility and with boldness, hand in hand. I think it calls for a willingness to go where God calls us, to go where God sends us, no matter where that may be, and to pay attention to what he's already doing and how he's already at work. Uh, Those of us who are followers of Jesus, I hope this passage will encourage us. Let's never give up trying to share the good news of Jesus with people in our lives. Philip met the finance minister uh, physically and spiritually, physically in the in-between place of the desert and spiritually in his quest for God as he was reading through Isaiah. So may we always be ready to ask people in our lives, do you get, do you understand what you're reading. And I'm not talking about just reading the Bible, though that's a great thing to do. Let's be doing that. Do you understand what the signals in your life mean? Right? What do I mean by signals? Okay? I mean, are we listening for the hurts, the hopes, the heart, the history right, of what's going on in our friends' lives and helping them to make sense of it in light of the story of God, friends? Uh, the, the, the way that a, the sunset The beauty of a sunset captures your heart. The way that holding a newborn baby can melt the heart is cynic, right? Uh, Theologians sum up that, those kinds of experiences with the word creation, right? That God created the world to be good and filled it with good things. And we're meant to experience joy and awe and wonder. Those are good things to celebrate. But at the same time, what about our inability to escape suffering? No matter how hard we try. No matter how good our intentions, we can't help but hurt people. We don't want to, but we can't hide from it. This stems from our collective human turning away from God, 
to try to be our own God, right, which has shattered the good he intended for us, poisoned our relationship, and harmed our planet. We can't hide from this. So this is about knowing God's story well, from creation to fall to cross and new creation, knowing it so well, and knowing our friends and colleagues and neighbors so well that we can show them how their stories overlap with the story of God. This is really important for us to get to lean into and to, to strengthen our muscles over. Uh, I want to give you an example of what I mean by this. My friend Andy, uh, who trains with me, he has a, a longtime childhood friend, and we'll call him Jake. Now, Jake began, um, he met a girl online, and uh, the relationship was going well. They were talking about a future together. Uh, the girlfriend was interested in having kids. Jake was not. And Jake told my friend Andy, I can't bring a child into this world. It would be irresponsible. It would be reckless knowing the history of addiction in my family because Jake's brother had struggled painfully for years with addiction and was not through it yet. And Andy paused, uh, sent up a quick prayer, and asked for the right words. And Andy shared with his friend Jake the story of God to help him make sense of his life. He said, Christians believe that every human being, every baby brought into this world has inherent dignity and value. And yet every human being is broken. We're, we all bend in on ourselves, making ourselves the center of the universe. And so if you have a kid, you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna fail. And it's actually refreshing to accept that, that that's the case. But Andy also said, listen, I know your brother, Jake, and I love your brother. Your brother is not defined by his addiction. That's not his primary identity. His primary identity is someone who's beloved of God, right? created by God and beloved of God. And so Andy spoke the story of God into Jake's life to help Jake make sense of his life. Right? So I pray that God would help all of us pay attention, especially those of us who follow Jesus. I pray he'd give us the love and the courage that we need to show our friends how God's story helps them make sense of theirs. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want us to ask, are we ready to jump into situations where it's not Steph Curry or Philip that's the star player, it's actually God. But God's style of playing always involves making the extra pass to his teammate, us, so that we get to play a part. It's incredible. Right? I, if we're willing to do that, I invite us to pray in the footsteps of Philip. This prayer, if we can get it up on the screen, uh, it's, a, it's a brief two, three-line prayer, and it goes, Show me where you are work at work in my world today, Lord. Let me have a conversation about you with someone in my life that you are seeking. Open my eyes to what the Spirit is doing. Let me have a conversation today with someone that you are seeking. And I wasn't looking for it, but I got to have a conversation with my Uber driver this morning. Uh, this, is, this doesn't usually happen, but she, we talked about being born again and how hard it is to live in this world as a born-again person. Show me someone you're seeking. Help me to have a conversation today. Now, for those of us who uh, don't follow Jesus, are not Christian, are not sure what we believe, if this faith is good or makes sense at all, um, keep in mind what the finance minister said. How can I understand? How can I understand what is going on in the Bible? What is going on in Christianity unless someone guides me? Right? So hold the Christians in your life, hold the Christians in this room to account. When my daughter, uh, Ellie, 
She's my judo daughter. When she graduated from a white belt to a yellow belt in judo, her sensei, it was a very formal ceremony, her sensei said to her, now your job is to help every person, every new, new person that steps onto this mat to learn the way of judo. And friends, I think that's our job. So if you don't follow Jesus, you're not sure what you believe, hold the Christians around you to account. Consider them as a yellow belt at a minimum. Their job is to help you understand the way of Jesus. Okay? So come hang out, volunteer, consider looking at a biography of Jesus with a Christian friend. See if what he says, what he promises, how he lives and dies is compelling to you or not. And you might even want to try praying. Ask God to make himself real to you. You never know how God is going to show up, right? As we've seen, God is more than willing to pull a star player off the court at a moment's notice to send him to one person who had been earnestly seeking for home in the right place, right? God is willing to do that. Uh, and so I'm, I'm done now. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of sum up uh, in, in the form of a prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we know that you're inviting each one of us into this story of Philip and the finance minister. We know you're seeking people who don't know you, and you push those of us who follow you way across boundaries out of our comfort zones. Lord, help us to be willing to go like Philip. Help us to be willing to help people understand the good news of Jesus like Philip. And if we're not sure about you at all, help us to be willing to open ourselves up uh, with a guide like our Ethiopian seeker. Wherever we may be, God, I pray we take one brave step forward this Easter season. In Jesus' name, amen.